The Trek Files, Season 8, Episode 7, Starfleet Operating Orders, 1987. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Welcome back, Star Trek fans. We've got another great one for you this week. I want to thank all of our, our Star Trek historians, especially this week. But yeah, all you tech heads, you, you Trekophile spelled with an F. Canonistas will love this this week. Go check out the documents of the week at Facebook, facebook.com slash the Trek Files. That's where we always have our hub of documents as well as the audio. You know, we're the only podcast that gives you homework every week. We're going to be talking about everybody's go-to Star Trek legal concept, the Prime Directive. And I've got just the guest to do it with. Now, we're going to use as our text the original first season Next Generation Writer's Guide. We've got a sample for you coming up here. Check out the document. But hang on, I'll be right back with this week's guest. Starfleet General Order Number 1 says that we do not have the right to interfere with the natural process of evolution on any planet. We do not have the right to interfere with the culture of the people who live on the planet. We do not have the right to interfere with the natural processes of life. There are only two possible exceptions to the Prime Directive. One, when the safety of the starship is jeopardized. Two, when it is absolutely vital to the interests of the Federation. Any captain who does find it necessary to violate the Prime Directive had better be ready to present a sound defense of his actions. Well, Truckophiles, anyone listening to the show that does not know about the Prime Directive, have no idea what the concept is, just just turn off your device right now. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, but the Prime Directive is so central to Star Trek. Now, you don't find it in the cage or in Where No Man. It's a, it's a concept that evolves, but it's obviously in the subtext of Star Trek. And we've got some recent scholarship that's finding early drafts of the cage where there is some mention of a prime regulation or something that feels prime directory. But it's definitely baked into the cake of Star Trek. Now, we're looking at the Writer's Guide first season for The Next Generation here. But the Prime Directive is definitely part of, as of first season, is part of uh, the original series. And on the writing side, at the drama side, as characters, we love having Prime Directive debates. Sometimes they are right on. Sometimes they feel hokey. But it is a basic legal establishment of um, the Star Trek universe and the Federation of Planets. So. If we're thinking law and legal things, how about we have back our new friend, who is the deputy executive director of the Space Court Foundation. We visited him with him a few weeks back, uh, Mackley Carroll. Mackley, could you come in here? Thanks for coming back. And, and, and the prime directive, isn't that just a juicy thing for space lawyers to jump into? It definitely is, Larry, and it's great to be back. Hey, Chuck Files with an F. It's really, <laughs> I'm really excited to be here. Um, yeah, the Prime Directive. It's one of the only real legal concepts that we have it floating in the universe. In the, and I wouldn't be surprised if it would be a lot of applica- applications in the near future. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you remember, in 2020, the former uh, Israeli head of security for their space program said that there's an actual federation of planets. He went on record in the newspaper and he had said that. So, I mean, 
if there's a federation of planets and I'm trying to look for some kind of source material, I'll go for the prime directive to see how this plays out. Well, you know, the prime directive, I know uh, it's been some interesting things get said by interesting people at times yeah, um, and, and very quickly forgotten about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do remember that now. No, but yeah, you know, the prime directive is a concept as a Gene Roddenberry Trekism progressive idea totally comes out of the Vietnam era. You know, mm -hmm. it's the, the interference side of it. I, there's there's a couple of components. Part of it is just don't interfere, period. And then there's also the if it's a lesser developed species, you don't mm -hmm. waltz in and show yourself. You don't be the Spaniards walking in on the Mayans and the Aztecs. Yeah. Uh, and sadly, that there's a long list after that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, that's a basic premise because very early on, we quickly as they wrote scripts, they quickly saw it wasn't just about colonies. And now, what about what do we do have the budget <laughs> to go to mm -hmm. a planet? What are we going to do? What's our interaction going to be? And of course, Gene Kuhn is who came along with Gene and kind of codified the idea of the Prime Directive in some of the early episodes. But it's as much about um, not interfering as it is uh, don't go and try to and mess up the natural development of a culture that's on its mm -hmm. own path. But mm -hmm. definitely that interference angle came out of why are Western powers in Asia, Vietnam or otherwise, you know. Yeah, I could see that. That's a, yeah, that makes sense uh, in some realism and a great, great analogy. Um, I like to think of the zoo hypothesis at any time I think of the prime directive. But like, yeah, you shouldn't you shouldn't. Um, I'm sorry, you think of what? The zoo hypothesis. What's that? Oh, so it's the, it, they connected to the um, Fermi paradox and the uh, Planck hypothesis about why we've never seen um, in, intelligent civilizations, why we've never been contacted with. And it's it's almost like we're in a zoo. So it's not it's really on the different species analogy. It really plays off that. So you wouldn't want to interfere with uh, someone who's less. Uh, yeah, less developed in awareness more so it's an awareness. Which plays into the plot of First Contact, the movie, mm -hmm. which as the Vulcans are out there speeding around and the minute they see we've like their threshold is basically faster than light drive because now we'll be able mm -hmm. to escape our solar system or anyone would be yeah. able to get beyond their own planet system. And so now it's time to welcome you into the big boys club and, mm -hmm. and not until. So they're talking about there's a hypothesis. There's a there's a philosophy that that's a, a, a real world thing or a real galaxy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called a zoo hypothesis. So it's so it takes yeah. us right back to the cage that we're all mm -hmm. specimens in a zoo, but we're yeah. being watched. But we're being ignored benignly. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then there's certain legalist Something's based off that, right? And excuse me for um, from butchering my Latin, delegata lata and delegata frende, which favor an anthropocentric view of the law, right? Because if you're thinking of the prime directive, if you're thinking of different, because, you know, the Federation has different alien species, right. there has to be a very human way of looking at law. And then there's, so there's a second assumption in there where it's like the more technologically advanced you are, the mo more likely you are to not harm a different culture, a different species, mm -hmm. right? Because I mean, that just happens with, even though it, you know, on the other hand, it could be said technology could lead to the destruction of a species, right? On other species, but you know, that's where it's the most likely, and it's an assumption. Well, we've we've got the real world, and you know, coming out of the the nineteenth century, when we had like you know, well-meaning but totally misplaced scientists observing, mm -hmm. you know, primitive. I'm saying this air quotes, primitive mm -hmm. cultures. Mm -hmm. And and not realizing that being there was already altering, you know, the evolution of those cultures. And then mm -hmm. fast forward that to um, 
to uh you know the insurrection the movie Mm -hmm. Uh, who watches the watchers in next gen where you've got observers mm -hmm. doing the same thing and they're behind hollow shields and they're trying to rem and then something goes wrong and they re you know and we see who watches the watchers is all about a sociological you know bird's nest gone wrong where they're mm -hmm. revealed and insurrection the same way although who was who who's watching the watchers and who's playing the primitive there is you know it's it's about like Aaron to mercy where you think you've got a primitive society but they're far more advanced than you but that, that's exactly. the drama that's the drama mm -hmm. but that 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 um updated concept of we're going to go observe without interfering mm -hmm. uh, and take all the safeguards i you know i are, are, that's fascinating the zoo the zoo philosophy Hypo hypothesis hypothesis the zoo hypothesis is that like a universal construct or is there pushback to that um there's no pushback to that i mean it's, it's the hypothesis at the end of the day right so it's not saying that this is straight fact or not has even gotten to the level of theory yet but so so they're saying okay sick. guys send your radio signals and your voyager plaques out there as much as you want to but we still may not hear anything back yeah exactly and in the, this is what and you know connecting back to, to star trek it wasn't until we got warp drive technology that's how you kind of that's a lot bigger than a radio signal you know that's how you get somebody's attention right well and that's how the rest of the community says okay this is they've had their bar mitzvah <laughs> They've had their Kaswan. <laughs> they're mm. they're they're adults now, supposedly. So yeah. so they're ready to um, join the federation. Yeah, join the federation, as it were. Yeah. Well, what do do, um, do now? You again, you're with the Space Court Foundation, who are mm. who are concerned with both the applications of of the real the real I say the real world the real world of legal maneuvering of of foundation of of boundaries as we are evolving into space, talk about mining asteroids and, and mm -hmm. exploring the moon, exploring Mars, the solar system, and then getting, as, as the last time we visited, talking about getting our humanity in that mindset to do that kind of thing. Yes. Um, which is kind of always the mindset behind Star Trek. The, uh, the supposition that people love about Star Trek is we're only in the 23rd, 24th centuries running around exploring and bumping into new things, hopefully for the better. Mm -hmm. Because we survived ourselves and found a way to get along, even if it yeah. took, you know, um, is the Space Court Foundation looking uh, backwards? I think you mentioned that you had an intern program. I don't mean looking backwards, but I mean looking at, at, at the today situation to, to get us there. Yes, yes, yes. So we're actually developing a big uh, book of space law. So we're going to, and part of that, we're going to have a timeline of significant events in, this, in space history. And then break it down to the legal um, aspects and avenues that that were involved when that happened, and that's including from everything from the creation of the Outer Space Treaty to actually launching Sputnik, mm. and you know, and just going and just commercial launches and governing the ISS. But that's how much of that. Now you mentioned the Artists Accords, but the the mm -hmm. Space Courts Foundation, this big book, this is like template law. There's there's no real treaty associated with this, or is that the goal? It, 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 yeah, it's template law. It's just a description of the big book of space law of of things that are happening. And like you said, the Artemis Accord, which is the latest. Is that is the Artemis? Is that like a fully? I mean, like there are some parties that are that are not signed on 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 board with that, right? Yeah, yeah. We have about nineteen countries. Israel being the latest country, actually, by the time of this uh, recording, to sign on to it. And you know, the there's a stipulation to Artemis. If you want to take part in the Artemis mission that NASA is having, that the U.S. is having. You have to be uh, be a part of the Artemis Accords. Okay, so it's a little you. It's a little USA centric that way. Yes, participating. That's a big criticism. 
Right. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the status? Of, I mean, we're t- <laughs> we're talking about the prime directive, and even you know the the point of this this section that we pulled from the writer's guide also has the section about just describing the federation in you know fifty words or less, basically there. That it's uh, that like you mentioned, it's not humans, and in fact, it's fun to watch Star Trek as an American TV show entertainment property. That's that's trying to say it's the United Nations in space and what that means. Of course, the United Nations, the Federation. I don't. You you tell me. The Federation to me has always been further evolved as we've seen it, even in original series, than the current United Nations is, because they seem to have meshed the, you know, the one military, the one government, and all the planets have their own. They're still intact as as self governing and can have their own cultures and all that. But they've given up the ego of having a unified government does that make sense yeah yeah that's spot on and no offense to united nations things move a lot lot slower in real life than i guess they would have happened in the near the 24th century politically and they yeah there are bureaucracy bureaucracy involved with different nations and i guess you you nailed it when you said ego as well um that's why it takes things to things a while to move but there are working groups that you know where people come together and try to form a consensus and white papers on on space law issues or in space issues in general. And you could always point to the ISS as a great sign mm-hmm. of people coming together because you had Russia, China, the US all there, you know, for the common goal of space. So while things were, you know, while tensions might be high on the ground, at least in space, things were a lot more civil. It's funny, I just was thinking that uh, space has, after, we, after the initial space race, I think people mm-hmm. kind of took a step back. And I hope, I hope, you know, ongoing tensions in the world don't don't uh, backtrack us on this but it, since the 70s it's felt like this cooperation space and you mentioned the rescue treaty there's a treaty in place that if someone's space mission or crew or craft is in distress that other nations are bound yep. to come to the aid if they're able to yeah yep. it's a duty yeah it's a ah. rescue agreement okay. and that's a, that's a great has a great concept you know of, of cooperation and even that that idea is enshrined in the outer space treaty as well so, you know, they, they place an emphasis on the fact that we're all in this together. So we should mind as well. If it, when, when in danger, we should help each other. Okay. So it's not just a, a wonderful moment in uh, movies and film. It's uh... <laughs> No, 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 no. It's a real international law codified. Oh, well, so, so in your work, does any, I, I mean, I, I know how NASA is. I think every uh, three out of four people are at NASA because of Star Trek, <laughs> mm-hmm. whether they're astronauts or, or you know, ground support. In in your field in space law, do you have a lot of uh, of Trek folks? Uh, yeah, yeah, you have Trekkies everywhere. You definitely, yeah, yeah, you're a worldwide bunch. So we definitely have Trekkies and who are really involved in space law. Shout out to um, one of my co-officers, co-officers, Julia Millet. She's a big Star Trek fan. Okay, okay. Because I, I just was curious how often terms like prime directive and, uh, you know, those kind of things pop up in conference, like as a shorthand or whatever. I mean, the Outer Space Treaty is the prime directive of the space industry that we have it now. Mm. So, Oh, that's great. Mackley, this has been wonderful. It's, it's a different slant on Star Trek and tying it to today and also jumping us into the future. Uh, you know, it's not pie in the sky to aspire to things like the prime directive in a... In a a tolerant assembly of planets that have a unified government that all still retain their own their own even if even if the guys that helped found the federation keep the capital and the legislature and the president's office all on their home world i 
I'm waiting for someone to have an issue with that in Star Trek. But uh, thanks again for joining us. It's been a fun conversation. Yes, thanks for having me, Larry. And bye, Trek Files. <laughs> the Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Now, all of these documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. That's me at larrynemachek.com. That's where you can link in also for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop now, too. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.